Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Good morning. I'm Shelley Rittenhouse, the worship arts director here at the Valley Church. I'm going to share this morning about conflict and conflict within our families and what, the God, what God has just laid on my heart. Um, but I thought it only be appropriate to uh, introduce my family to you. This is my husband, Chris, my oldest daughter, Myla, and our youngest daughter, Ren. And we have prepared for you a highlight reel of all of our best attempts at handling conflict in our home. So enjoy. Uh, do we argue? Maybe sometimes. Well, hopefully that helped you feel a lot better about how you handle conflict in your home after watching us. And maybe some of you related with Ren when she was like, I'm done, okay? <laughs> maybe that's how some of you think when you uh, come in uh, counters with conflict as well. So today we're gonna look at conflict and conflict within our families, conflict within our marriage. And Believe it or not, conflict, no matter how much you would like to avoid it and how much you may be done with it, it's just inevitable, all right? You um, are an imperfect person, in case we didn't know, let's all have a reality check. We are imperfect people, and we are married to imperfect spouses, we have imperfect parents, and we have imperfect children. And as long as there are two humans in a room that have two separate brains, there's bound to be conflict at some point in time. This shouldn't surprise us because in John 16, 33, God tells us that in this world we will have, we'll have trouble, right? But he said to take heart, he has overcome the world. So let's just do a quick check right now. If you have a piece of paper or a napkin or uh, we get really creative sometimes when it comes to finding something to write on at our house, grab that if you could. And I would just like you to use a line graph and we're going to look at how close we are, how things are, how good things are with our family. Um, also, I'll do a heart over here on one side. And, and this is time, okay? So if you had to draw a line for your marriage, Starting at the beginning of your relationship with your spouse, what might that look like? Was it really hard at first and then it got better and then it went back down? Or maybe things were just super awesome and, and we're doing this. Uh, maybe there's some stair step action going on. I don't know. But these are going to be really good indicators as we unpack scripture together today. So I think it's going to be valuable if you just take a minute and jot that down, okay? I did this myself, and you don't have to show anyone. Um, you don't have to show your spouse. That might create conflict, <laughs> no. Um, but truly, and maybe you wanna make one for your family as well. So maybe you'll have a line graph for your, your marriage relationship and then a separate one for your family. 
but you're gonna not regret kind of making that quick self-evaluation as we kind of unpack scripture. It's so funny, when I Googled conflict brings, it came up a, a bunch of like possible search options. It was conflict brings catastrophe, conflict brings destruction, conflict brings violence, conflict uh, in marriage, and religion brings conflict. I can't really like subjects, right? <laughs> but a synonym for conflict is battle. I felt that was like super powerful. And one of the things I love about God, honestly more than anything else, is how his view is often very conflicting to the view of everything else. You see, he doesn't see conflict like Google does. God sees conflict as an opportunity for unity. I just really like that. God sees conflict as an opportunity for unity, for closeness, for oneness. And conflict, when we encounter it, it leaves us with two choices, okay? Our lens of perception and then how we're gonna handle it, right? How we look at the conflict and then how we attack the conflict that we are involved in. God desires unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. You see, where, the, where there is unity, there is victory. And where there is victory, there is victory in your marriage, there can be victory in your family, there can be victory in the body of Christ but we have to learn how to gain perspective when we come and uh, counter conflict, right? And that's what it is. It's all about perspective. It's really looking at conflict through a different lens. I like to think about it as like climbing a mountain, okay? If I think about myself climbing like a steep cliff side of a mountain, like you might think of like, you know, sharp edges, you might have scratches on your hands, dust going in your eyes, you might have a little bit of anxiety or frustration. Um, and you know what? That's a little bit like conflict. When we're going through situations um, that, are, that are tense, that um, maybe are situations we didn't want to find ourselves in with someone else, all of these emotions arise and that's what the enemy wants to capitalize on, all right? But what I want you to see is how God sees conflict. God sees conflict as an image like this, an image of two people helping one another climb up the mountain, grabbing one another's hands. You know, he doesn't want this conflict to create separation. He wants it to create unity. Let's look in Ephesians. We are going to look today at a letter that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Now they're in the book of Ephesians. There are several letters that he's writing from jail, um, but the overarching theme to the church is how to be more Christ-like. 
to not let sin like creep in and take over, but how to become every day a little bit more like Christ. And so he does in Ephesians 4.25, he attacks conflict and gives us some good, um, some good meat on how to do that. So let's just read Ephesians 4.25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Step one, tell the truth, right? Don't lie. Two, don't let sin, uh, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives foothold to the devil. All right, so like, let's not be angry. Let's not go to bed with conflict still up in the air. Three, if you're a thief, quit the stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and give generously to others. 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything that comes out of your mouth be good so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. Verse 30, do not bring sorrow to God's spirit by the way you live. Remember that he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Here's the big one, ready? Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I mean, this is gold. It's so good that I think now none of us will ever have any question on how to handle conflict again. In fact, we may never like encounter uh, conflict again, right? If only it were that easy. And if you're anything like me, this is a high call of how to live. I would like to say that I hit all of those standards when I hand, handle conflict, but I'm gonna be honest and let you know that I fall short. See, when we first say yes to Jesus, not all of our old self clears out right away. I like to think about it as a refrigerator, okay? Most of us have refrigerators in our home. So if you would walk into my house and open the refrigerator, okay, you would see lots of things that reflect choices that I prefer. And when we ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart and come into our lives, we, we let him into our fridge, right? We let him take out some of those things that we know aren't good for us and put in some better options, some better behaviors, some better habits. But if we're all honest, we have some things that we just like to keep in that back corner or in the bottom drawer that are just behaviors that we revert to or habits that we have that we're just not ready to kick. Ultimately, we want Jesus to come in and do some major spring cleaning in our hearts. I mean, I want him to come in. I want him to scrub down all the shelves, give me some acrylic bins, clear acrylic bins with labels on them and fill my fridge with all the good stuff. I mean, Jesus, just come home, edit my fridge. Please tell me some of you have seen that, right? Home edit on Netflix binge watch that puppy. But seriously, that really brought a good image to me of what I want Jesus to do in my heart. You see, ultimately, it's not about behavior modification. 
It's not about behavioral modification. It's about transformation, being more like Christ. It's taking the whole milk <laughs> and letting Jesus take that out and substitute it for the almonds, all right? Behavior modification in itself is not a bad thing. You know, it's, it's a good thing for unhealthy habits that we have in our life. And you know, maybe you, um, you know, you get really angry in conflict. And so, you know, maybe one thing you're going to work on after today is just not getting angry immediately when you're confronted with problems. That's not a bad thing to focus on. That's a really good thing. But the problem is at the end of the day, it's not enough. God wants a heart work, not just a behavioral change. God wants something deeper. He wants to clean out your fridge. And when we pray and seek for transformation, we come to a key element that God lays out for us in conflict. And we see this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. It says, when we deserve death, we, all of us, deserve death, we receive the gift of life and in great heavenly abundance. So in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, we see through a lens of love. We see a God that walked a nasty, dirty road that was full of shame and embarrassment, carrying a cross that was not his. You see, he went to the cross for me and all the wrong things I did that I did not deserve but he didn't just see me for my sin. He saw me through a lens of love. And when we look at people that we're having conflict with through a lens of love, it changes things. You see, society like really wants us to believe that love is a feeling, all right? Marketing makes all kinds of money on feelings. But I'm here to remind you, friends, today that love is not a feeling. I guarantee you, when Jesus walked that road and hung on the cross, that he was not feeling good. You know, he had the power to have all the angels in heaven come down and save him that, from that awful situation that he was experiencing because he was not feeling good, but he chose to take my sin and bear it on the cross because of a choice to love me. Our battle, friends, is not with people. Our battle of conflict is with the enemy. I really wanna say that again. Our battle is not with people. Our battle is with the enemy. And I'm going to be really honest. When I'm in, you know, contention and conflict, I'm going to, I do not feel love. I don't, I feel a lot of things sometimes, but it's not an overwhelming feeling of love. And that's why I love to just remember Jesus going to the cross because that was a choice. That was not a feeling. And you know what? That's exactly what the enemy wants. 
He wants us against our spouse. He wants us against our family. You know, where God wants unity and oneness, Satan wants us isolated, just like that mountain climber. He wants us feeling all of those feelings of being alone. But when we choose to look at conflict, when we have conflict that starts to enter our lives and we can choose to look through that lens of love at our husband or wife or children or parents, friends within the church or community. We can see it as an opportunity for unity, not anger and frustration with the person. The battle is with the enemy. And when we look through that lens of love, the enemy loses a foothold. And then we start gaining strength in that passage of Ephesians, all right, that, those strategies that, that, that Paul writes about become something that we can live more fluently because of the way we're perceiving people and the way that we're perceiving conflict. Plans are good, amen? <laughs> I don't know if you're a planner. Um, I have two sisters. One, I would say, like, plans out is, is a hardcore planner. Like, I aspired to have her planning. And my other sister, I would say we have similar planning strategies. Sometimes she's even, I feel like, more spontaneous than I can be. I might be somewhere here in the middle. Might depend on the day my little sister and I might switch spots. <laughs> but I think even if you don't like to have a plan, we could all agree that on some uh, situations, plans are good. So like I would say a game plan is good. I'm guaranteeing you if an NBA coach goes out to play a basketball game and has no plan for or strategy for that game, he's probably not going to do very well and he probably might not keep his job. Same thing with war. I'd like to know that whoever I'm going to war with has a plan and a strategy for attack. And I'm, I will say I'm even about the meal plans at our house. So why, why are plans good? Well, they help train, prioritize, and help us just work more efficiently, right? We have in mind the end, and we can kind of work through things that we've already kind of scaffolded for ourselves. Healthy relationships start with that lens of love. That's super important. Being able to have that transformational heart moment and being able to see people as, as who they are and not their sin, right? Recognizing the enemy. And the second thing is just to have a healthy game plan for conflict because we know it's coming, right? How do you like naturally um, respond to conflict? Maybe you'll relate with one of these feelings. Maybe you like just avoid conflict in general. When it comes your way, you just gotta do your best to get out of it. Uh, maybe you raise your voice. Maybe in conflict you revert to stubbornness or get angry. Um, maybe in conflict, you just become overwhelmed with emotion or sadness to the point where you just have a hard time even communicating your feelings. Um, maybe sometimes we get defensive. Um, if I have to personally share how I uh, handle conflict, I feel like innately uh, my voice just raises. 
Uh, that was even before children. <laughs> this has been a lifelong, you know, attempt at just really trying to control the volume of my voice when I get in points of contention. I also get really stubborn. I don't want to say it's stubborn, it's just to forgive or say sorry. I want to say it's more stubbornness just to solve problems now. <laughs> I don't like problems. I don't like conflict. So I get this stubborn sets in and it's like, all right, I'm getting this behind me and I'm getting it behind me right now, right? So as we, I prepared today and I, I prayed over today, I listened to sermons and podcasts um, and all kinds of strategies that people use in their marriages and relationships. And I just wanted to share some of these with you because they've been valuable to me um, and having a game plan for when we come across conflict is going to be important because we can know how we are going to attack this. The first thing I found really um, helpful was to have a place in your home designated for having important conversations. This, put, this sounds kind of silly. Uh, at first I heard that and I was like, okay. Um, but really, this might be the most important conflict resolution strategy Chris and I have made from reading all of this is the knowing where we're gonna go for conversation. We have a house that has kind of an open concept. So our living room and kitchen and dining area are all in the same area. That's not a good place because that's where our kids often are. Um, if we go upstairs, we have our bedrooms and we have a playroom. We usually had our conflict or important conversations in the bedroom. And I heard it said, and I just wanted to share this with you, that conflict should never be handled in the bedroom. It said that the bedroom is for three things. Ready? Serenity, sleep, and another three-letter S word that I'll let you figure out, okay? <laughs> um, and as, as crazy as that sounds, because that seems like a natural place to kind of like hibernate to, it really has been helpful for me to leave that space when I encounter conflict. You know, then you're not keeping a place that should be a peaceful environment for, you know, for unity and oneness and rest, that those important conversations and any words of hurt that may come out or, you know, anything you might want to replay in your mind, it didn't happen in that space. So I'm just going to challenge you to pick a spot in your house where there are limited distractions, you can have good eye contact, um, and it's not your bedroom, all right? The second tip is to just kind of start with a personal MRI. This is before you even like go to the person about the conflict. I like to, you would never guess, verbalize out loud how I am feeling. Um, and so sometimes I don't know how I'm feeling until I have a conversation with someone and then it comes out and I'm like, oh yeah, that's it. Um, but that's not always good, right? Because that's not always good, one, for filtering your words, Two, sometimes if you're, you're going to someone else, there's a real fine line between going to someone for wisdom and saying the right things or, um, you know, it gets, prayer requests can get real gossipy. We never want to share anything about our family or our spouse that we might be later embarrassed of for them or for us. We, we want to honor them in that way. So I found that taking a journal and just writing out your frustrations 
getting out your emotions. Um, and sometimes you might find out that there's really no conflict at all. That it's really a bunch of little things in your mind that just became a big thing that wasn't a big thing. Or, or you might have a valid conflict that you need to go through, but it's able to help you um, kind of bullet the problems that you want to address when you do come together for that conflict resolution. The second is there, or third, is there are fight and flight responses. I mentioned my stubbornness, right, <laughs> for the fight, um, but there's also the flight. And sometimes when we're having intense conversations about things that we're passionate about, um, there are things that trigger emotional responses, and sometimes those make your emotions run incredibly high, and you might just need a moment. Um, so it's nice to kind of just give your spouse and your family the freedom to have a timeout. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three, but during your conflict, you might just need a half an hour to go walk around the block and be like, hey, I'm gonna need a minute to just blow off some steam, um, but I'll be back here in 30 minutes if that's okay. Uh, having a time to return to that conflict and acknowledging that you're not avoiding it or running away from it is really important. And setting a time, I would say less than 24 hours from that conversation, if at all possible, lets your spouse or family know that it's important to you to finish this conversation and to resolve this conflict. It's just valuing one another's emotional needs. Another tip I heard was to communicate the severity of an issue. This is another one that Chris and I have been implementing in our house. Um, and it sounds crazy because you might just say, Shelly, your teacher in you is like creeping out. You know, maybe that's good for the classroom, but like, I don't know about my marriage. That kind of seems a little elementary to me. Um, but I promise you, there's a reason for it. And that is this, that if I ask Chris to meet me in her spot, you know, hey, I just need to talk to you something, it's like a level eight. That gives Chris a couple minutes to like absorb the fact that this is, this is something that's important to me, right? He's like, oh man. <laughs> but no, he can really know like that this might take a minute, you know, and that Shelly might be really upset. And then when we come together in that space, he's not going to lead off with something before we've, you know, had much conversation that says, this isn't a big deal. Because I don't know about you, but nothing hurts more than someone devaluing how I feel. All right? No weaponizing. Again, it said that in Ephesians. We know our family the best and we know how to hurt them the best. So don't weaponize each other. Have a conflict curfew. Again, silly, but my dad always said, nothing good happens late at night. And you know, I just thought that was a thing parents said to their kids <laughs> until I became more mature. And I realized that, you know what? As it gets later and I get more tired and exhaustion sets in, um, my vision and clarity and wisdom does decrease. Um, so it is good just to have a time in mind that if the, your conversations in conflict go late, um, that you just have a point where you draw the line and say, hey, we're going to have to hit this hard tomorrow. And lastly is be the first, all right? Be the first to apologize. Sometimes it's like not even just saying sorry for maybe something you don't know that you've done to offend a person, but be like, I am so sorry that we're in this situation. I just really don't like being in conflict with you. Or sometimes I just tell you, when I 
and frustrated, there's nothing that puts out my fire faster than when I come to someone and they just immediately say, I'm sorry. You know, it takes me from here to here and really solving conflicts so much faster. We started this with our girls, actually. We call them a race to, we said it, a race to forgive, a race to say, I'm sorry. Um, and so one day we were doing this and we had tried implementing it. And oh man, the girls loved it. They would start arguing about something and then somebody would realize they were fighting and they would be like, I'm sorry. And I was like, wow, this is magical. <laughs> and Milo woke up the next day and she goes, hey, are we still playing that sorry game? And I was like, we are playing that game every day for the rest of our lives. It really worked. They were excited about it. In fact, before I even knew that my sermon topic today was going to be on conflict, I had, Chris and I had had a conversation about really how the voice levels in our house were going from like zero to eight really quickly. And we decided we need to do something about this because we don't want conflict in our house. We don't want to fight. Um, and we need kind of like a self-check to ourselves. Um, and so we started, and this is all before I even started reading in Ephesians, we started a love is challenge. And each week we were looking at a different part of the verse from uh, 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight. And I just used this letter board right here to set in the house and it would change from week to week. So we'd leave love is, and then we would change, you know, it would be patient, and then it was kind. And, you know, every single week it would change. So if you have kids, um, and maybe you, you recognize some of the things that I did, this might be a fun way of um, just kind of implementing conflict resolution, um, speed, like speed limit signs in your house, visual reminders just to help you remember love is kind, love is patient. Well, are you ready? Let's pull back out those graphs that we looked at right at the beginning that I had you scratch out, all right? How is it going? I wanna go through a couple of charts that I feel like maybe some of us wrote. Maybe your chart looks like this. It either started up here and went down, or maybe it was down here and went up and went down. Either way, okay, it is trending downward. And what I'd like to put is on here as a dot would be right here, or right here, is conflict. So there was a point in your relationship, and maybe it was really early on, or maybe it was down here a little ways, there was a point in your relationship with your spouse or your family where you had some major conflict. And ever since that point, your relationship has suffered some. And you would say it's been on a, a descending trend since you've been in that conflict. I want you to know today that Satan wants you to think that you're alone. Satan wants you to think that everyone else in marriages, they're happy and that you're just never going to get through it. You're going to go down, 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 and down, and you should just quit. I'm here to tell you today that it's not too late to change your trajectory. Let's look at another um, thing, that, another way your graph might look. 
All right, maybe you're like, yeah, no, that, that wasn't me. Maybe this is a little bit more of what your relationship with your spouse or family might look like, okay? So maybe you're coming from up or maybe you're coming from down. Either way, you hit conflict, all right? You hit conflict and you've got this plateau. All right, so again, our dot is conflict. You come from a good place or you come from out of a bad place, but once you hit conflict, you just plateau. And you can say, Shelly, we've been plateaued for 10 years. Nobody else is like that. And I want to let you know today, I just want to speak truth into your life that that is what Satan wants you to hear. Satan wants you to think that you're stuck and that you've done your best, you're alone, everyone else is happy, you'll never figure it out, and that you should quit. I want to let you know that you're not alone. There are other people watching today. In fact, there is a statistic that says 70% of couples get stuck on a, a contentious item for long spans of time. And when you get stuck in something like that, I just, I say, go, go, get, go get some uh, Christian counseling. Get some wisdom spoken to your marriage. Keep working Put in that lens of love. Come up with a conflict plan. Because guess what? It's not too late to change your trajectory. And you, you're not alone. Maybe your graph looks like this. I promise I'm not doing 20 of these. All right. Maybe you started up here. You had a great relationship. And then you hit a conflict. And it descended a little bit. Okay. Until you got at the next conflict, and then it was weird and okay for a little bit. Maybe it plateaued even out this way. Until you hit another conflict, and then you're like, ugh, that again. All right, so you're, again, trending down every time you come into conflict. Maybe you're just avoiding conflict. Maybe you're avoiding conflict at all of those spots. Satan wants you to think, I have tried so many times and you're alone. Everyone else is happy. You'll never figure it out and you should quit. Are you hearing a trend? See, Satan wants you to quit your marriage. He wants you to quit your family. He wants you to quit your friendships and he wants you to quit church. Why? Yeah, because remember that? person hanging on the cliff mountain and all they can see is dirt, dust, debris, and a real steep incline. He wants you to feel alone. He wants you to feel isolated. He knows the threat of unity. But I'm here to tell you that it is not too late for your marriage. It is not too late for your family that we can start having a transformational heart change. We can start today and change the trajectory of our relationships. This is my favorite graph right here, okay? This is what I want my relationships to look like, okay? As we come up from wherever we just landed, all right? So we all are landing down here because we weren't happy with how we were handling conflict in our relationships. This is where I want to start. I want to start 
going up. And every time I have conflict, it might take me a minute, right? But then my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my family is gonna increase. Our closeness, our unity, when we get through that together, is gonna increase. And when we hit conflict again, it might take us some time. But when we look through the lens of love and we have a game plan for our conflict, it's gonna bring us closer together. All right? And this is the coolest thing right here. If you've been around the Valley Church very long, you've heard Pastor Mark talk about the me, you, and God love triangle, right? Which just is like this. You, me, and God. The more I become more Christ-like and the more my spouse becomes more Christ-like, we not only become closer to God, but we become closer in proximity to one another. And I love how the line of this conflict management fits right in that triangle of love. It is not too late to change our trajectory. What if we could improve our skills in gaining a perspective of our lens of love? Because that's going to take a minute, right? It's not just like every time we get in conflict, we're like, oh, I love you. How can I help you? Remember, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a heart change. What if we gave grace instead of finding defense? What if we saw hurt and insecurities and needs and we see the enemy trying to creep in instead of just feeling angry? What if we start using conflict as an opportunity for unity in our relationships? And what if our kids watched our marriages and families handle conflict well? How would that change the trajectory of your marriage? How could that change your children and the relationships that they have in their future? And ultimately, how would that change you? Change your heart and the renewing of your mind. In this world, we will have trouble. Conflict is inevitable. Does conflict handle you? Or do you handle conflict? It's not going to be long today, I guarantee you, till you walk into a situation and we will have conflict. We're going to have it. It's how we will choose to use it with those people that are around us that we love. I want to challenge you today that as you go out, finish your day, to just think about your relationships your graphs, and where they are and where you want them to go. Because guys, it's not too late to change the trajectory. Let's start using conflict for an opportunity for unity and look through that lens of love. It's been so good to dive into this together today. Know that I'm gonna be praying for you and your families and your marriages and the opportunity for unity in those relationships. And I would appreciate any of your prayers for mine.
Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.